I was supposed to be in New York uh, right now. I was supposed to do a conference out there. Uh, and as some of you know, it got hit by a major snowstorm and they canceled all the flights. And that's just fine by me because there's no church like this church. I like being here, right? truth be told. So this is good. But we had asked our new youth pastor uh, to uh, preach this weekend. As a lot of you know, uh, we spent over a year and a half uh, looking for the person we really felt uh, was called to head up our youth ministry. Uh, We've been blessed with a lot of great volunteers and a lot of great staff, but we really felt like there's a person we're supposed to find to head this up. And so we climbed every mountain, we forded every stream, we followed every rainbow until we found our dream, and and we found him down there in in Chicago. Uh, And the the main thing is looking for a person who's got the same kingdom vision, that non-religious, radical kingdom vision that really defines the heart of our church and also has uh, uh, the vision for bridging people to God and bridging people with one another and has some experience in that. And so I would like us all to give a warm Wilden Hills welcome to Seth McCoy. Come on up here, brother, and deliver the word. Amen. Appreciate this guy. In fact, what I'd like to do is, is uh, have this to be kind of a commissioning time. We have had a vision for our youth uh, that is really a, a, a beautiful, radical vision. And uh, we want to see God bringing that about. And so could, I, could we stand? And I want to commission, uh, as a congregation, this is very biblical, lay hands on him and commission him to do the work that God's called him to do. Could I ask some people, especially the, uh, some leadership in the church, to come forward here and others, whoever wants to come up here, we're going to just pray for this man. He's got a word this morning, too, that I'm telling you is, is really penetrating. Not to put pressure on you, dude, but that, that was good. And, and, uh, and do it again here, okay? Uh, and, and, and if you want, you can just extend your hand forward here as we just commission this brother to do what God's called him to do. Father, um, we just thank you for Seth and his wonderful wife and, and uh, his family and that our, you have led uh, our paths to cross with him and him to be now part of our community. We thank you for the call that's on his life and for every life experience he's gone through that has prepared him for what you're going to do through him here. And Father, we just pray according to your word, according to the biblical pattern as we lay hands on him, we pray for a powerful anointing, a a baptism of the Holy Spirit in his life and in his ministry, Lord God. Lord God, put a fire in him for our youth, Lord God. And create a fire through him in our youth, Lord God. We believe that you have called the youth of our church to be our main missionaries. And the youth of the culture are the main mission field. And and God, we just believe incredible things can happen through our youth. So we pray, Lord, that through Seth you'd raise up an army of on-fire, radical, worshiping, loving soldiers for Jesus Christ who can reach their peers in Jesus' name, Lord God. Give them the wisdom to pull together and consolidate a team of people, Lord God, to minister to to our kids, Lord God. And we are just believing that the vision that you've given us and that we've been pressing forward on for so long is going to come to pass, Lord God. So, Lord God, just bless this man in his ministry and now bless him in this word he's going to bring forward here. Let your authority and your anointing, your peace, power, joy, and wisdom be all over him. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Amen. Praise God. Seth, take it away. Well, it was the summer of 1984, and it was about as close to heaven as I've ever been. I was uh, living in Southern California at the time, and I had this job that uh, I would take some of the fruits that would grow in our backyard, and I'd sell it to make a little money. 
And then, as was my custom on Wednesdays in the summer, uh, me and my buddies would get on our huffy bikes and we'd ride our way up to the local cinema. And across the street from the cinema, we'd, you know, we'd get there a little early, usually about an hour early, and uh, we'd go to the donut shop across the street. And uh, they, had, uh, they had just gotten the new video game Space Invaders. So we just, you know, we got all the quarters we could muster and we just played that game until our fingers got blistered. And then at noon, we head over to the box office because this was a special day. It was opening of a new movie that we were really excited about. So we uh, shelled over the dollar fifty it was for the matinee. How many remember that day when going to a movie was a dollar fifty? Oh man! So we go pay my dollar fifty for a ticket, and I'd go to the snack stand, and I'd get some popcorn and milk duds. That's the candy of choice for me. So we'd sit down to the movie, and they're rolling the credits, and I'd take you know three milk duds and chew them up in my mouth, and then a handful of popcorn, and mix my own caramel corn in my mouth. <laughs> The lights go down, and the movie comes up, and 126 minutes of life change for me. See, there's a few moments as a young man that will sort of mark a young man forever. You know, your first Little League home run, the first time you put that ball over the fence and the way that feels. The first couple hairs that sprout out from under your armpit, (laughs) signifying that you're a man, as awkward as that is in seventh grade PE, because some have it and some don't, you know? The first time you take a Rubik's Cube and you solve the stupid thing, that was a big moment. Except it wasn't that big for me because I never solved it. I just ripped the stickers off and relined them up. Yeah. Yeah. Honesty is not one of my great traits. Um, but so then the movie comes up and it's 126 minutes of, um, of Ralph Macchio and Pat Morita and Elizabeth Shue and the movie changed my life. You all, of course, know what this movie is. What is it? Karate Kid, that's right. Snot-nosed little punk from Jersey. Gets his butt kicked every day and wants to learn karate. So he finds the local custodian of his apartment complex and convinces him to teach him karate. But for months, he feels like he's a slave, right? We all know what he did, right? Paint the fence. Wax on. I see people doing it. This is delicious. Perfect. (laughs) sand the floor. Well, finally the scene kind of culminates. I'll never forget when Ralph Macchio is just ticked off. He's been, I think he's been sanding the floor all night. And Pat Morita comes back from fishing. And he just explodes on him. You're supposed to teach me karate. Hey. You like that? That's good, huh? You like that? He says, you ain't teaching me nothing but to be your slave. I've been waxing and waxing. I've been painting and sanding. And then Mr. Miyagi, like, it's like he lit a little stick of dynamite. The little man explodes with like a samurai cry and unleashes a bunch of punches and kicks. And, f- and for a moment, Danielson finally gets it. And as he waxes on and waxes off and sands the floor and paints the fence, he realizes that he's been learning karate all the time. He just didn't know it. All right, if you have a Bible, why don't you pull it out, and we're going to jump into Luke chapter 6. That's our passage today. If you brought one, I encourage you to flip around with me. Uh, If you didn't, we're going to have the verses up on the screen um, so you can follow along. All right? Hi. Banzai! That's where we're going to close the message today. Banzai! All right, here we go. Luke chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, 
And his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now when I read these verses, I had all kinds of words popped out of me. I had all kinds of questions. So I figured I'd just sort of talk us through some of my questions and see if they're helpful for us. And my first question is, what's so significant about the Sabbath? What is it? Probably lots of us know or have heard the story of God creating the earth and the world and the universe and man and everything in it. That he created a planet and he created light and he created the sun and the moon and the stars and he set the seasons into motion. He filled the ocean with all kinds of beautiful fish. He filled the air with all different kinds of birds. He filled the land with animals. Then he decided to make someone in his image a man named Adam. So he took him from the dust and created him and breathed his own breath into his nostrils and then created woman. And after six days, he looked around at all of his creation and he said, this is excellent in every way. So he set apart the seventh day, a sacred day, a day of rest. And a day of rest for all of creation. Now, why is it that he took a day of rest on the seventh day? Like, does the story tell us that God was, his heart rate was too high and his breathing was too heavy, so he needed to take a day off so he could calm down a little bit? I don't get the sense of that. I get the sense in the creation story that God is energized creating. It's part of being God, is creating. I wonder if maybe he took the seventh day off because he was done. He finished creating and took the seventh day as a day of rest. Now, in the creation story, Adam's given the instructions to take a day of rest, but he's not given any specific instructions about what to do. But a little later on, Moses and the children of Israel, they are given specific instructions about the Sabbath. So if you have a Bible, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 5. It's in the Old Testament. And if you have to use the table of contents, that's cool. I do sometimes. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now I'm going to read for you uh, verses 12, 13, and 14, and then we're going to look at verse 15 on the screen. Um, So if you want to just listen or read along, you can. So Moses is reading these commandments that he's gotten from God to the nation of Israel. And here's what he said. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Holy means set apart, distinct. Verse 13. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, you get in the point, no one. No foreigners residing in your towns, no slaves. And then here's what he says in verse 15. Here's why they celebrate the Sabbath. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Because slaves work seven days a week, 
but not God's people. They're not slaves. They work six and take a day off to remind themselves, we are not slaves, we are free. See, but the cool thing is not only were they given the seventh day, so out of a week, the seventh day is the Sabbath. To teach them wholeness, that God had completed the creation of the earth, to celebrate it as a day of rest, but also to remind themselves that we are not slaves, we're free people. But then he also gave them a Sabbath year so that for six years they would live their lives sort of as normal. And then on the seventh year, they weren't supposed to plant any crops. Now, for me, that's not a big deal. I mean, I'd actually welcome a year where I didn't have to tend to my grass. I didn't have to mow it, fertilize it, nothing. Sabbath year. <laughs> but, but for a group of people who live off of the land who stay alive based on the food that they grow, to take a whole year and grow nothing. God, are you kidding? How will we eat? And God said, I will cause the land to produce fruit to feed you because you need to remember, you're my children. I feed you. You don't feed yourselves. Now, this is hard for us humans, isn't it? Because, like, I go to work, and I work hard, and I get a check, and so I take my check, and I deposit in the bank, and I go, I earned this. I earned my food. And then I get reminded that if I didn't have the breath that God gave me, I wouldn't have a check now, would I? So who works? Who provides for me? Me or God? That's a hard lesson for me. But the other thing that it would do, because I didn't plant those crops, it meant that the poor and the widows and the lame, they had just as much right to pick the fruit of the grain as I did because I didn't grow it. And so it was a year of sharing. But not only that, did God give a seventh day of the week and then a seventh year, but then he gave a seventh seven, which is after seven periods of seven years, then on the 50th year, you're supposed to celebrate this celebration of Jubilee. It was the year of Jubilee. So I thought, well, how can I help you understand what this was like? Um, Maybe a lot of you know, but I... Sometimes I think in word pictures. So now, Tuesday night around my house, we have this ritual uh, where we kind of eat a meal together and we try to, we have like family game night. And I'm a pretty competitive person, so I like to pick games that I'll win. (laughs) So, and plus my kids are still fairly little, so I pick Monopoly because it's easy for me to cheat. Um, Because I can look at my seven-year-old daughter and I could tell her, yeah, Oriental Avenue, trade for Park Place. Absolutely. That's a good, that's an even trade, sweetheart. They're both blue, and she'll trade me. So we play Monopoly, and I'm trying, I mean, the whole goal, stack up your money, stack up your buildings, stack up your property, dominate the enemy. I love that. I'm really good at that. Especially when they're like prepubescent, then it's really good. But like, let's say that you played Monopoly and you set a timer that every, um, every 10 minutes, it all went back in the box. The money went back to the banker, the property got redistributed, and all the houses went away. Wouldn't be much fun of a game, would it? Why? Because it'd be hard to win. And it's like God says on the 50th year is going to be a year of jubilee and all the money gets redistributed, the property goes back in the box, the buildings get shared, everyone gets a fresh start. We're all even. 
Did you know that in Israel's history, it's not recorded one time that they celebrated the year of Jubilee? It's too hard to start over. It's too hard when you have the property stacked up and the building stacked up and the money stacked up. It's too hard to let go of that because we think it's ours, don't we? But whose is it? It's God's. So on the Sabbath day, it was a day of family. So the families would gather around and share a meal. So I brought some things I thought might help us um, learn from the Sabbath. Uh-oh. Now, the first thing to learn about the Sabbath is that the Sabbath, like unlike our days that start with the sunrise, in the Jewish calendar, days always started with sunset. So the evening was part of the day. Isn't that interesting? The first act that you do of the day is you go to sleep. The first thing I'm going to do today is go to bed. I'm going to try that. Because I think it was a reminder to the Jewish people that the first thing you do is you go to sleep peacefully, knowing that God himself is watching over and caring for you. The first act of the day is an act of trust. So, but the first thing they would do at the celebration is they would take candles and they would light them for a couple reasons. One, you weren't allowed to, um, because there was no work that was supposed to happen that day, you lit candles and that was really the only light that was going to light your house. So the father of the house, or actually the mother of the house, would light the candles. Now, interestingly enough, to a Jewish person on the Sabbath, what I am doing right now is considered work. So after they lit the candle and blew it out, <laughs> the mother would light the candle, but then after she lit the candle, they, the whole family would cover their eyes so that they couldn't see and then lift their hands off their eyes because they were reliving the drama of God out of darkness bringing light. That out of total darkness on the Sabbath, we remember that God created light. And then they would sing songs. And uh, they would uh, pour a glass of wine and they would bless the wine as they sang a song of peace. A song that God was a God of peace. Now, peace may not be a big deal sometimes to us. I'm not sure. I sure think it's a big deal. But... To the nation of Israel, a group of people that had lived under the bondage of slavery and had, for their whole history, been constantly attacked by their enemies around. The message of peace, songs of peace, were a big deal. Because God had created peace in the heavens, one day they knew that he was going to create peace on earth, real peace. In Hebrew, that word's called shalom. And then they would take a, some bread, and last night I just had a couple of rolls, and uh, my friend Trevor went to the Jewish bakery and got me a challah. So this is a challah, which is a loaf of bread that's braided with th between three braids. I was like, why braided bread three, father, son, spirit? But when you're a Jewish person and you sat down for food and you saw bread on the table, there's no way that you can't think of this idea of manna. That on the Sabbath day when we're resting, we're reminded of manna. That when we lived in the desert, God himself provided food. It fell from heaven. 
And just like the year of Jubilee, we couldn't stack it up because if we did, it would spoil. Everyone gathered what they needed and shared. Now, does this, does this Sabbath meal look like anything you've seen before? Any other famous Jewish meal that would have wine and bread and light? Hmm. Let's open up our Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians is a letter written by Paul towards the back. Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. There we go. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. The Sabbath was a shadow of something that was to come. Wax on, wax off. Sand the floor, paint the fence. You see, the Jewish people were gathering every seventh day celebrating symbols that pointed to something that they maybe didn't even realize. They pointed to Jesus. In fact, there was such a connection that lots of the rabbis in between the time of the giving of the law and before Jesus came, there was this sort of rumor or teaching that grew that if the Jewish people could practice the Sabbath with great intensity, if they could really keep it holy, that they could actually make the Messiah come sooner. They could usher in the Messiah by practicing Sabbath. Now let's go back to our passage in Luke and see if we can unpack a little more. So back to Luke chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. So one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain. Now, let's stop there. I think that's interesting. Now, Jesus' disciples were all Jewish kids who had all celebrated the Sabbath before. They knew that you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. They were probably very clear on what you were supposed to do and what you weren't supposed to do. Now, sometimes what Jesus would do on days like Sabbath or when he went to the temple, whenever he interacted with things that were really important to Jewish people, he would purposely do something really weird or offensive and then explain what he was doing. Um, but this time, it's not Jesus that breaks off the kernels of wheat. Who breaks off the kernels of wheat and eats them? The disciples do. See, there's something that they're already understanding about Sabbath. The other thing that's weird to me is, look who else is in the fields. It's not just Jesus and the disciples walking through a grain field. Apparently, the Pharisees are there. Now, don't Pharisees have anything better to do on the high day of Sabbath except hang out in a miscellaneous grain field watching Jesus? Like, were they just sitting there like camping out and Jesus came passing through the grain field? Or were they following him? I think we might get some more hints about this a little as we move further. And then Jesus gives them the answer because they say, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, some people, when they read this passage, um, some people think that Jesus didn't actually break the Sabbath law, uh, the, the law that was in Scripture. He broke all the extra laws that the Pharisees added on to that. But the reason I don't think that makes sense is because Jesus fesses up that he's breaking the law. 
He says, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And then he gave some to his companions. He's like fessing up. You're right, I'm breaking the law, but so did David. And then he says something really weird. And the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, why would Jesus respond to their question with another question? One is it's a brilliant way to diffuse your enemies. But at the same time, it's like he's, point, he's, like he's saying something more than what he's saying. Interestingly, the story that he refers to is a story where David is on the run from Saul. David has been proclaimed king. He's the rightful king, but Saul's not giving up the throne. In fact, Saul is trying to hunt him down. So he rolls through this town, a town called Nob, N-O-B. And he and his guys are hungry, and they roll into the temple, and they meet the priest, and they say, we're hungry, give us some bread. He goes, well, all I have is the consecrated bread. David says, okay, well, let's have it then. So he takes the bread and eats it. But interestingly enough, one of Saul's men has been sort of hiding in the temple. He's the snitch. And later on in the story, uh, when Saul comes to that town, he snitches David out and says, oh, he was here just the other day, and he was getting the consecrated bread. Okay, so in the story of David, there's a real king who's on the run from the old king, the unrightful king. And the new king has some of his followers, and they're eating the bread, but then hiding in the temple where the bread is being eaten is a snitch. So let's rewind to our story. Jesus, the real king, and some of his men are on the run from the old king who's no longer king anymore, is he? And hiding in the grain field is a group of people named Pharisees, and they're the snitch. And then Jesus says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, this isn't the first interaction that Jesus has had with the Pharisees about Sabbath. He talks to them a lot about the Sabbath. In fact, one time in the book of John, he, does, he heals someone on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees say, how can you work on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, well, God works on the Sabbath. And that would have flipped a Pharisee's mind. No, God doesn't work on the Sabbath. Sabbath is the day that God rests and we rest. And here is Jesus saying, God's working today because I'm working today. Now, there was some exceptions to the Sabbath law. Like, for instance, it was lawful for a priest to work on the Sabbath. So was it okay for Jesus to work on the Sabbath? Isn't Jesus the high priest, the real one? You see, because some of the real question that the Pharisees were asking Jesus, and they asked it all the time, is, will you affirm our way of being God's people? We have certain distinctive boundary markers that make us Jewish. We circumcise our young boys. We don't eat food that's unclean. We don't work on the Sabbath. These are things that we do. We worship at the temple. And Jesus' answer was always, no, but yes. Jesus, will you affirm the temple? No, I'm going to tear it down and rebuild it. But yes, I'm going to gather 12 disciples, and the temple is no longer going to be a building in Jerusalem. The temple is going to be the human heart where God's Spirit is going to live. No, not your way, but yes, the real way. Jesus, are you still going to affirm our sacrificial system? No, but yes. No, we won't kill animals anymore, but yes, I will be killed 
to make peace between man and God and man and each other? No, but yes. So Jesus, will you observe the Sabbath? Will you observe a day of of rest and of sharing and of trust and of faith? No, but yes. Not one day of sharing and faith and dependence. Every day of sharing and faith and dependence. Because when you say the word Sabbath and you say the word rest, they mean the same thing. And I think I remember Jesus one time standing in front of a whole group of people and saying, Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. Heavy laden with Sabbaths and temple worship and sacrifices. If you're weary and heavy laden, come and I, I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Now, yes, certainly a yoke was an instrument used for farming, but did you know that the rabbis, whenever there was a new rabbi that would come with the new interpretation of the law, and it happened pretty regularly, he would come with this new understanding or perspective on what God meant in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, he would develop a way of teaching, a way of understanding the law. Do you know what the rabbis called that way of understanding? They called it a yoke. Take my yoke on you. And I think it was Jesus who said, don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothes. Don't worry about houses. The birds have food and shelter. The flowers are cared for. But if you seek first the kingdom, if you seek first what I am about, then I'll take care of all that for you. Those things will be provided. Jesus, will you affirm one day of the week where we set aside a day of faith and dependence? No, not one day. Every day. Now in the book of John, when John tells the story of Jesus, um, sort of the last week of his life, the, the Lord's Supper and the Passover meal that he celebrated with the disciples and his trial and crucifixion and burial and resurrection, he's very specific about giving us times. But, and kind of, and sometimes he gives times of day, but mostly he's giving an idea for us of what day of the week it is. Tells us what day it is that Jesus died. In fact, he makes it clear that Jesus died before sundown and was in the tomb before sundown on Friday, the sixth day of the week. Because again, the Jewish calendar starts on Sunday. Sunday is the first day. Saturday is the seventh day. So by Friday sundown, before the Sabbath starts, Jesus is in the tomb. Why? Because on the Sabbath, he is resting. Why is he resting? Because on the cross the day before, he looked up and said, It is finished. And in the same way God his Father in six days had created everything we saw and said, My, The work that I've done is excellent in every way. So he rested because he was done. Jesus on the sixth day after teaching and suffering and giving his life to disciples and coming with the new yoke and being the Sabbath, he said, It is finished. I'm done with my work. 
And then on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, two women come to prepare his body for the burial because they couldn't get to it on the Sabbath. They weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath. And Jesus meets them already alive on the first day of the week. Where does he meet them? In a garden. Okay, so two human beings with God in a garden. Sound familiar? And then he, the same day in the afternoon, he meets the disciples and he breathes the Holy Spirit on them in the same way that God the Father breathed life into Adam. You see, John wants us to see that Jesus' work and then rest and resurrection means that there is new creation. Now, I talk sometimes about places on earth that remind me of heaven, but there's places on earth that remind me of hell, too. Sometimes when it's my kid's birthday, they like to go to this place that's specifically designed for children. There's games and songs, and there's really weird, freaky, stuffed-up people that make noise, and they play fake drums and sing songs. Um, And they serve really, really bad pizza, and they have really, really bad games. It's called Chuck E. Cheese. And to me, that's hell on earth. I go there and I weep and I gnash my teeth, but I sort of endure it because my kids like it. The only redeeming quality about Chuck E. Cheese is there is one game in there that I've loved ever since I was just a wee little boy. It's this ramp, and at the end of the ramp, there are little circles worth different point values. And so you stick your quarter in, and these perfectly formed wooden balls roll down the aisle at you. You know what a game I'm talking about? Ski ball, that's right. So you put your quarters in and you roll and you get 500 points and then tickets come out of the thing. You ever seen a kid react when he sees tickets popping out of that machine? It's like, I got something. And now what I would do is I'd put my foot on the thing and I'd pull more tickets out than I earn. But that's beside the point. And so I'd, you know, I'd spend $10 and I'd stack up like 500 tickets. Now here was the thing, like when you were a kid, it seemed really awesome. As I got older, I realized what was happening. You take your 500 tickets up to the display case where some, you know, pimply-faced teenagers run in the ticket uh, black market, and you give him 500 tickets, and he gives you an NFL pencil. And like, when you're a kid, you're like, yes, a Vikings pencil for $10. Score! But as you get older, you start to realize, wait a second, I just spent $10 to buy my kids skee-ball tickets, and they're walking out of here with the parachute man that I just saw at the toy store for 39 cents. See, there's a different economy in skee-ball. It's like Chuck E. Cheese is its own little world. It's not the real world. It's the world where kids fight and work for tickets to buy prizes that aren't really worth anything. And see, in the old creation, human beings spend way too much money playing a mindless game to earn tickets that at the end of the day, they're not worth anything. You ever try to take your tickets to like Super America and go, here, I'll give you 10 tickets for a gallon of gas. (laughs) Sir, (laughs) step off our property. That's what I'm going to say. And Jesus breathes new life into the disciples, and he says, there is, it's like death to the end of skee-ball. Don't spend the rest of your life trying to stack up property and money and fame. That's not worth anything in the new world. And the news is, the new world is the real world. 
Now, there's a Mr. Miyagi in the Bible. Did you know that? <laughs> We're about to see him. Uh, it's the book of Hebrews. And the reason I say it's Mr. Miyagi, because Mr. Miyagi, he, in, what he did for Daniel's son is he interpreted things for him. See, Daniel's problem was perspective. He thought he was just waxing on, waxing off. What he didn't realize is that he was learning karate. And in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews is a message to the Israelites, to, to the Christians who had previously been Israelites, that everything they had been doing for thousands of years was just waxing on, waxing off. It was all pointing to the new age. And so turn to Mr. Miyagi, chapter 8. Hebrews is towards the back. Hebrews chapter 8, um, let's see, here's verse 1. Now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest, he's talking about Jesus and a new covenant, who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. See, Jesus, the high priest, who was always working and giving, the high priest was always working and giving sacrifices. When a Hebrew person heard the word that the high priest has sat down, it means that he's finished the work. He's done. Our high priest isn't working anymore. He sat down. And then if you look in verses 6 through 13 of that same chapter, Here's what it said. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. There's a new covenant that's better than the old one. Let's go down to verse 8. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. And isn't that what Jesus was always getting at with the Pharisees? It's not about these outside things that you're doing for tickets. I'm going to write my laws, my ways, I'm going to write them on your minds and in your hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Anybody wish that God would forget your wickedness and remember your sins no more? Yeah. Verse 13, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. Kind of like the way Macs make the PC obsolete. I'm sorry if I offended anyone there. No amens. Sorry about that. Let's keep moving. <laughs> and what is obsolete and outdated will soon appear, will soon disappear. And then Mr. Miyagi chapter 4, look what he says in verses 6 through 11. He says, Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, that Sabbath, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today. So we can enter Sabbath rest 
today. And then tomorrow, and tomorrow, and today, and today. Look at verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For those who enter God's rest also rest from their own work. Anybody want to rest from your own work? From trying to get to God by building your own pathways, by being good enough or smart enough, or people liking you? The good news is Jesus sat down. He's done. Let us therefore, verse 11, make every effort to enter that rest. Let us make every effort to enter God's rest. Let us make every effort to celebrate this meal every day. Jesus says, you, you, you're the light of the world. You're my people who will not live according to the law of skee-ball, but live according to a whole new way. Who will refuse to live the life of monopoly, stacking up property and money and houses. Instead, you'll be the people who seeks first the kingdom of God and my righteousness, and I'll add all those things onto you, food, shelter, clothing. You don't have to work for it. You work for me. I take care of you. And certainly we could talk about the Sabbath from the context of, well, we're all workaholics. So isn't it great that we have a day to to rest and relax? And maybe that's there, and maybe that's something that you need to work on. But I don't know that you need to only work on that one day a week. Because singing songs about peace on earth and peace in our hearts and peace in our homes, that's not a song for one day a week. That's a song for every day. And when is the right day to sit down and break bread and share it and live in community with each other? Is that one day a week or is that every day? And then I read the book of Acts and I just want to cry. And I go, there was once a group of people who were devoted to the apostles' teaching, and they broke bread together, and they celebrated communion every morning together. And those people that had lots of monopoly money and lots of houses and lots of property realized that that was just skee-ball. And so they took their extra, and they brought it to the church where some people didn't have any and said, why should I have more than anyone else? And they redistributed it and celebrated the year of Jubilee for the first time in history. and light of the world, and peace, and bread for all, isn't the kind of life that we're called to live one day a week. It's the life we're called to live every day of the week. All right, would you stand? And we're going to close in a prayer. And sometimes when I pray, I say weird things, so I wrote this one down. I hope you're not offended. (laughs) So if you want to bow your head and close your eyes, that's fine. If you'd like to keep them open, mine will be open, so no problem. Jesus, teach us to live the Sabbath every moment of every day. May we come to realize that we can be made whole in you and find rest in you. Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. May we trade in our tickets for a different way of seeing our value. 
May we remember that we are a holy and set-apart people. A different kind of society who refuse to live according to the patterns we see in this world. Father, may you give us the faith that we need to live the way of Jubilee, of justice and sharing and faith and peace, in place of a world of competition and hoarding and work. And may your spirit give us the courage and the hope to continue your work until one day the clouds will be rolled back as a scroll and what we've done imperfectly, you'll finally do perfectly. Amen. Thanks for coming. Have a good week. Uh, yeah, there's going to be people that are going to be up here to pray. If you, wanted, if you had some need or something to pray about, there'll be people up here that can share that with you, okay?